Welcome back to The Pitch Show. I am your host, Jay Miller, and this is the show where I sit down with someone in and around the tech space that is doing magnificent and productive things in their career, hobbies, passions, whatever. And this week, I have Sam Julian on the line, and Sam is a author of more than one book. Um, I, I When I first started talking to Sam, it was like the author of a book. And it was like, oh, no, there are now multiple books. There are two books. Uh, most recently, The Guide to Tiny Experiments. Uh, Sam is a developer advocate for Auth0 and someone I consider to be my mentor when it comes to the developer relations space. So with all of that said, Sam, how are you doing? Oh, that was uh, quite an intro. I'm doing good. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I want to know, and I, I'm sure I have probably have heard this from you at once or twice, but it's been a while. So I want to hear kind of your journey into developer relations and to becoming this uh, influencer around the DevRel space. Sure. Um, I'll try to give the Reader's Digest version, but uh, I am a self-taught developer. I didn't get a degree in computer science. I started college in computer science and then kind of washed out because of all the calculus and differential equations <laughs> classes. And so I switched to a, a liberal arts degree, um, which was a kind of a combination of history and sociology stuff. Uh, and then a few years later, uh, I I ended up in finance and lived that life for a while uh, in sales and customer service and things like that, uh, and got really bored and disillusioned in that. And so I uh, asked some coworkers at the finance company that I was working at, which was kind of a stock brokerage kind of place, if uh, they had any ideas of how I could start uh, learning to code. I had done a little bit of HTML and CSS when I was young, but nothing, you know, nothing super impressive. Um, and uh, yeah, long story sort of short, I uh, got a bunch of help from a bunch of people and ended up switching over to become a professional developer in about 2014 and then um, worked as a full stack dev doing C Sharp and JavaScript for about four years. And then um, I was at a conference, an Angular conference, and I met someone named Kim Maida, who was a, uh, let's see, what she, what was she at that point? She was she was working for OutZero. I think she was leading the content team, maybe at that point. She had a bunch of different jobs. but um, And we became friends. And uh, at some point, I started working on my first video course, which was about migrating from AngularJS to Angular. And so after I launched that, I started writing a bunch of blogs and um, stuff to try to promote the course. And at, at some point, um, I did a guest post for AuthZero's blog. AuthZero, if, if you don't know, has a, has a very like famous blog for developers. Um, and after I pu published that guest post, uh, Kim messaged me and was like, Hey, um, so we have an opening on the content team. Have you ever thought about just like writing full time? 
for a job. And first of all, I was like, I didn't know that was a thing. <laughs> like, I didn't know you could just like get paid to write. Uh, and it sounded awesome. Uh, so I, I sort of went back and forth, but it, I ended up um, applying and accepting the job. And I worked for, it was my first remote job. And I, I worked for Auth Zero's content team for about a year. And then I, I was doing a bunch of speaking on the side and uh, eventually was able to move the move over officially to the DevRel team. Um, so I've been on the DevRel team since then. And then in January, I actually switched over to being manager of the DevRel team. So whew, that was about seven years worth of stuff condensed into a few minutes. Hopefully it wasn't too rambly. <laughs> No, not at all. And in in fact, it was it was kind of enlightening a little bit because I I didn't realize how much writing had been a part of your I guess story in the past. And and that's that's one of the things that like we've been talking about at work. You know where I'm at. We've we have so many different roles as advocates, and like one of the things that brought me into DevRel was podcasting and doing YouTube content and um, mutual friend Joe Carlson, like he spends all day making like TikToks and like doing developer AMAs. And it's, it's really interesting to see that there are these multiple flavors of developer relations and it, and it often stems from whatever your experience was before you got into the, the DevRel space. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And I've been, I've been a writer since I was a kid. I used to like enter writing contests and things like that all throughout school. Um, So I I would consider writer to be like one of my primary identities. (laughs) So how, how does that fit when you're making the switch from like writing because you want to write or writing a course to writing a book like your first book was uh still in my opinion one of one of the foundational books that i would tell anyone that's getting into devrel like if if when i have conversations with people and the first thing they ask me is like so what does a developer advocate do and maybe i would be interested in doing that the first recommendation i say is like you need to get sam's book because (laughs) it's going to break down a lot of what we all have in common, even though every role is very different and you even highlight that, but I would have to imagine that it's also different to write a book versus a blog post versus a course. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's one of the things that I love about the whole content world is there's just so many different things you can do and kind of figuring out each medium and how to be a good communicator in each medium is something that I find a lot of joy in. So, um, yeah, I, I also really do enjoy making video courses. That's kind of a different thing. And I also enjoy giving talks and that's also kind of a different thing because a talk is at least in person on stage, a talk is kind of like a performance. Um, whereas a video course is more of like a long form instruction. Um, I look at all of these different types of content and writing and all of that as different parts of a conversation with someone or or a um, kind of the 
depth of conversation. Like for example, if you're writing a blog post, you just have a, a really a few minutes of somebody's time. You don't, it's not a long, uh, like a long format. I mean, blog posts can be somewhat long, but, but still it's sort of like a, a, a 10 minute chat on a bus <laughs> that you would be having with a friend. And that's the way I look at it. And so I write accordingly and try to define a, a, a few points that I'd be able to communicate with someone in just, you know, a ride home on the bus, basically. Whereas like a book is like a, like, like a, almost like writing a series of letters to somebody over, over a couple of months. And you would, you have time to develop more ideas and uh, give more examples and, uh, you know, sort of like a, a, a TV show versus a movie, you know? <laughs> um, and then a course, you know, that's, that's more of a class. You, you can, you can, you can, you have a lot of time to demonstrate things, but I try really hard in my videos to be extremely practical. I get really frustrated when a video course is like kind of hand wavy and just says like, Oh yeah, just like do this and it, it should all work. You know, like I want to know why something works and each step of the process. And I try to make my videos like that. I, I think that's hard though, because there are definitely incentives now to make your content like shorter and shorter and shorter just because of like attention spans as a whole. Uh, maybe that's just me, but I, I know that like when we're making content, it's, it always seems like if you want to actually teach something, do it in like a workshop, do it in a, a course, do it at like a, a webinar or like a user group meetup, something like that. But if you want to like convey a concept really quick, teach something really, really fast and then leave people with like the desire of wanting to look for more information. Like I learned a little bit, where do I go to learn more? Like that's where right now content is really pushing, especially when like you, you do. And, and, you know, we've asked, we've had people like get demoralized when they're like, I made this two hour course. And I'm like, ah, probably, probably want to break that up into like 15 different videos. And they're like, no, no, just send it out as one video. And it's like, all right. And then you, you put it out there and then people are like, like they watch it and you get all the views and then you go and you look and it's like, people are only watching the first five minutes yeah. and then they, they get upset. So it's like, I don't, I feel like writing a book to me seems easier because a book is something you can easily like, you can put down, you can pick it up at your leisure and kind of continue where you left off. Whereas with videos, like after I click off that video, unless I'm going to watch it from the beginning all over again, I'm probably not going to watch that video again. Right. Yeah, that I think that's one thing that I've found really enjoyable about writing is like it it is in a time where people's attention spans are so are so short, it's surprising how much people will read something written still. Like if if you hook them in through, you know, empathy or something funny or something shocking or whatever else, like people will read your stuff like e even if it takes them a few sessions. And so I've, I've been very surprised that like more, I, I think more people have read like 
the DevRel book than have read most of the articles on my website. You know, like just there's something about it that it's been more effective. People have just actually sat down and read it, which is so funny to me because like they had to pay some amount of money to get the book. And then they actually spend, you know, a few hours of their life, like reading something I wrote. And it's a really cool feeling. And it's funny to me that like, I've been writing on a blog for like six years. (laughs) And I never had that this amount of like, like impact on people. So it's kind of an interesting experiment. Definitely. And and I can, I can absolutely understand that feeling. And that's something that we, we don't talk about a lot. And we can probably use this to, to kind of transition into your latest book, even um, the guide to tiny experiments, like just because you try a thing and it's like, I've been doing this for six years, or I've been doing this for this amount of time. Let me do something different. Like you can still charge for those things. You can still speak from a, uh, from the position of, I did the research. I am now an expert in this position. I may not be the all knowing expert, but I am a professional in this thought space. So it's worth paying to listen to me speak. And that, that is something that I wrestle with now going from the person that was like, oh yeah, patronage, that's a fun way to make a little bit of money on the side for me spilling my thoughts on the internet to now giving talks at conferences where people have to spend money for me to hear, you know, me and a bunch of other people ramble for 20 minutes at a time. And think about it from the perspective of a company pays me to represent them to speak on behalf of topics that are important to them. So whether I know everything about that topic or whether or not I just did a little thing and thought it was cool, which in my case tends to be most of the stuff that I talk about, it it does put me in a position to where the the price tag of like the price of entry almost validates my professionalism or my knowledge or experience in the subject. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. But I I want to know more about your your second book, the the guide to tiny experiments. I've I've noticed just as like once we met, it was I know you had just put out or you were working on the first book. I don't even think it was out yet, and it felt very much like the first book was a tiny experiment. And then I <laughs> saw it like starting to grow, and then. I saw the newsletter and then I saw like the newsletter started to change. It went from like talking about just developer relations to like skills that developers across the board could learn about. And that felt like a tiny experiment. And then the book felt like a tiny experiment. And and it was almost in a way like you were, you were practicing what you were preaching by doing these little bitty things is, is, I mean, am I, am I close there? Is that what was happening? Yeah, I mean, I I wrote the book because that's the stuff that I do <laughs> that I that I find works. Um <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I've definitely I've been doing a bunch of experiments with uh writing and uh product stuff like courses and books and 
newsletters and articles. And I, I'm, I'm basically always experimenting to see how I can be more effective with what I'm trying to communicate and how, how I can help more people or, and have a greater impact on people. I, I want to encourage everyone listening to like, if you're a developer, even if you're not a developer, if you like work in tech in general, like I really feel like this is probably a good book to at least like get in the habit of wanting to practice and do things, but give, give everybody the kind of like, what's, what's the big thing that they'll learn without giving too much of the book away? Yeah. I mean, the whole thing is kind of built on the premise, like that, you know, most developers, including me, you know, we'll get these great ideas for a side project that we want to do and we'll log on to our, our domain name provider of choice and buy a new domain. And we're all excited. And we probably tweet out like, uh, this, uh, this tweet, like introducing such and such coming soon to a GitHub repo near you. And we're really excited about it. And then, you know, we, we maybe we'll do create React app or uh, NPM init. And then once the kind of steam runs out of the initial motivation, it's really hard to, you know, you try it, you maybe try a couple of times to work on it. And then you just sort of quietly let it die. <laughs> and then just like, uh, you have this graveyard of unfinished projects and that's a very relatable thing. Uh, and so this book is sort of based on the idea that there is a, a system that you can build of a, a formula that you can use to finish your projects and finish what you start. And it, it's a combination of different ways of thinking about these projects and also uh, a, a handful of skills that you can do. So in the book, I kind of provide like the, the structure, the framework, if you will, uh, to finish those projects. And then also kind of the, the philosophy around it and also how to go deeper and, you know, a bunch of examples and things like that, uh, so that you can actually put it into practice and not just read about it and forget about it. <laughs> so, I feel like this. I, I'm not. Well, I'm not one for productivity books in general. <laughs> um, yeah, I tell people like I I love collecting them, um, but it, every collector knows you keep them wrapped and uh, never opened. Uh, so <laughs> that's how they maintain their value. I I have seen a book that kind of I don't want to say contradicts what you're saying in any way because I think it I think it agrees with what you're saying. But I think what you're doing is kind of the next step. And that's like fail fast, fail often. You know, that that yeah. whole mindset of like build stuff for the sake of building it and build it knowing that it'll that it'll most likely fail, but you'll gain some insight from it. And that I, I seem to live in like that area of of creativity is I this show is the only thing that I have done consistently for more than like two or three years everything else has been kind of like a let's build this thing and give it like 110 percent realize not realizing that that's probably what's happening is that i'm burning myself out on it and then 
when something like crashes and burns, I'm just like, ah, you know, it's whatever. And then like, I'm already on to the next thing. Um, is there, I guess the question there is, is there a problem with the idea of I'm going to, I guess in TikTok words of like, here's me doing this cons this cosplay that nobody asked for knowing that it'll most likely fail like is there a problem with with going into your projects with that mindset or is, is that where i'm making all of my mistakes is from like day zero well i don't go into things thinking they'll fail or i don't suggest people go into things like assuming that they'll fail it's it's more like you know, one thing people often struggle with, including me, is like uh, decision paralysis. Like I have 27 ideas and I don't know what to work on or I have 27 projects and I don't know how to prioritize them. Or And so a lot of it, I found that there's a, a strong connection between that decision paralysis and perfectionism where the, one of the reasons that you're hesitant to pick something and work on it is because you have in your mind this ultimate beautiful picture of the end result and not just like the next step on the project. And so the idea is that instead of thinking to yourself, I'm going to become a world famous author and win a Nobel Prize or whatever, uh, you, you think like, I'm going to write a 200 word blog post and then I'm going to do that for four weeks in a row, you know, and you, and you just sort of work your way up. And that's a really powerful concept because you're either going to have th one of three outcomes. You're either going to love the thing and want to do it repeatedly and expand it and go all in on it. Or you're going to hate it and you're going to think like, I don't know what I was thinking. I don't even like this subject. Or you're just going to be indifferent to it and you're going to just like learn from it and be like, okay, well, this is a thing that I've done and I don't really want to go all in on it. But at least I got a lot of practice doing whatever. You know, if you're building a website, you got a lot of practice with deployment or whatever else. Um and so it's really just sort of approaching things more from like a science mindset of like everything is data and I can I can take that data in and learn from it regardless of the outcome. I, I like that. And I I think that that as a whole is the kind of the connecting piece. You know, I, I was trying to figure out like tiny experiments, micro skills, and it's like that's really what's happening is when you say, I'm going to do a thing. You either learn what didn't work so that you can try to not to make that mistake again, or you can learn something about something that did work. And for from there, you can apply that to, I guess, your tool belt or your skill set. And that's, again, doing a podcast for seven, eight years, not really making money off of it, but just co like consistently showing up. I still make plenty of mistakes, but I would definitely feel, I definitely feel like I'm a better interviewer, a better speaker, uh, someone who can take a conversation from one point and kind of 
work around it and through it and get to another point that you want to see. And none of those skills I would have gained had I never just started doing a podcast for free. Yeah. And in the end, that's what led like those skills translated. They translated to to doing videos and and being a developer advocate and giving conference talks. And I tell people like my conference talks are never ever 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 super technical because I feel like I'm personally not super technical. Like I know what I know and I know what I don't know and I know that I'm that that scale is definitely skewed to one side. Uh, so for me it's like I can use the knowledge of what I've learned through my tiny experiments to offset giving the super technical experiences and instead tell stories, tell like a good story, which I feel like developer advocacy is the, what's more important than giving the technical knowledge is making the person that you're speaking to, whether it's through a blog post, through a course, through a video or whatever, making them feel connected to you in some way, shape or form than like more than they did before and leaving them with a little bit more knowledge than they had before they came into the room. So you don't have to be completely technical, but you don't get there without trying stuff. And I only mentioned the failure part as in doing a thing and knowing that like making YouTube videos, knowing you're not going to be the next, you know, PewDiePie or whoever, like that's fine. Make the YouTube videos because it's going to give you the skills to create better video content. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's all great. I mean... I don't have much to add to that. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> well, I, I do want to make sure that we have plenty of time for the bonus show where uh, for those that are new to the show, uh, the bonus show is where this no longer is the pitch show. It's now Sam's podcast um, title still working on. And he interviews me and we, we just kind of go back and forth and ask, you know, and just have a conversation. But I also want to make sure that people know where they can one connect with you and two where they can i guess pick up the book but then also where they can continue learning from the stuff that you're doing sure so all of my writing and everything you can find at my website which is just samjuline.com and then uh the two best places to keep in touch with me are the newsletter, which is just, it's called developer micro skills. And every week I send out a practical, actionable way to improve as a developer and a developer advocate. And that's just at developermicroskills.com. And then I'm pretty active on Twitter. It's one of the only social media things that I'm active on. Um, and so I'm just at Sam Juline there as well. So those are, those are the big three. I'm so mad at you because I've known you for almost a year now and I've been saying your name wrong the entire time. It's so time. funny. As soon as you opened the show, I thought, I forgot to tell them how to pronounce my name. <laughs> and then <laughs> the moment passed and it was too awkward to bring up. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, I actually just recently added it to my email signature because I realized that's a thing that I can do. That uh, that hot tip came from Stephanie Mario. And, uh, so I did that. And so I think that's going to help a lot. 
but I, I'm just so used to it. I've grown up my entire life. My people pronounce my name that way. And if I don't think if I, I, I half the time, I don't even notice it. And so then I have to remember to actually correct people. Well, I, I will say if anyone needs to remember it, just just remember the song Jolene. Exactly. Because the second you said it, I was like, oh, like Jolene and not like, you know, the cooking technique like Julian, right. but exactly. Okay. Now I know everybody. My guest has been Sam Julian. Um, thank you. Did I get it right that time? Yep. You got it. Okay. <laughs> awesome. Uh, my guest has been Sam Julian. Thank you so much, Sam, for, for being an amazing guest. Like I said, just because the music's playing doesn't mean the show is over. As soon as the music cuts off, we go into the after show where Sam is going to be interviewing me about whatever he wants to talk about. I can't promise you it's going to be a three-minute conversation either because we go as long or as short as Sam wants because, again, at the end of the day, it's just his show. So that's going to do it for me. If you want to catch more of content like this, be sure to head over to podcast.productivityintech.com. Follow me on Twitter at KJYMiller where you can get this and all the other content I do Um, there's a lot of it running around all over the place, but I try to keep it all collected somewhere and Twitter is probably the best place for that. But with that said, this has been the pitch show. I've been your host, Jay Miller. Uh, Sam, are you ready for the after show? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Like I said before, you know, the rules, this is your show to, to talk about whatever you want to talk about. I am your guest. So treat me as such. Well, this is great because I uh, we we didn't mention in the show that the way I first heard of you was that you were on the Focused podcast with David Sparks and Mike Schmitz, which is one of my favorite podcasts. And I was listening to that episode, and then they mentioned that you were like in tech and stuff, and I was like, I. There's a, a very high chance that I've got a bunch of mutual friends with this guy, and he seems really cool. <laughs> and so I just messaged you on Twitter and said, "Like, hey, we got a, a bunch of mutual friends," and uh, that's pretty much that's pretty much how it went down. So I wanted to ask, very, uh, I'll start with the selfish questions of like, what was that like? What like, uh, I I'm like a I like kind of idolize David Sparks in a, in a lot of ways. Cause I think he is sort of one of the ideal kind of pictures of the like mindful productivity slash Mac nerd kind of, I kind of joke like I, he's me in like 20 or 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell him that it'll make him feel older. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, Focus was good. And and I will say the same week that this comes out, I'll be on another podcast that that David does. Uh so we'll I'll I'll be a guest on Automators, which Oh is my gosh. Be, that's like, one of my other was... favorite podcasts. <laughs> yeah. So, so that jealous. Was... No, that's awesome. <laughs> that was super fun. It was it was a really fun experience. And uh getting to talk to Rose for the first time like is super intimidating because she if if David is who you want to be in, you know, we'll say five years to make him feel good. Um, <laughs> Rose is where I want to be like three years ago. So, yeah, <laughs> like she is absolutely phenomenal. But yeah, no, the I've known I'd known Mike for uh, several years at this point. I think Mike was 
probably like one of he was in like the first 50 people that I interviewed for this show when he wrote he wrote a book a while back called Thou Shalt Hustle, which was like, you know, his faith, like faith based. Right. Um, the faith based guide to hustling and stuff. And I was like, oh, OK, that's pretty cool. Let's have let's have that conversation. Um, and he like we both spoke at Mac Stock Expo last year, uh, the virtual one that they did. And I am kind of known as like the guy that does bullet journaling and the analog productivity stuff. And oh, cool. Um, he wanted he wanted to kind of talk about that a lot, but I'm also the person that has been around productivity, like and just productivity creators and all of that for the several years. So I feel like where a lot of the people that I kind of came into the industry with have gone to like work at Apple and do stuff for Apple and like have their own YouTube channels and all that stuff. I became like the rogue person in the background that was jaded by a lack of success and was like, nah, man, productivity is a racket. I don't want to talk about that stuff anymore. And yeah, um, just kind of going from that approach. And it really was out of love that I wanted to learn more. And, and like you, I follow David for, you know, I've been listening to Mac power users forever and it was it was kind of mind blowing to have those conversations with people that you you know that you look up to and people that you you think are like the gurus of the space, only to find out that they're learning from you. And I, I think that that's you know that's something that in my mind I still can't wrap my head around. Is that you know every once in a while I'll have a conversation with someone. Um, Merlin Mann has said my name twice in the last two weeks and it like keeps oh, blowing wow. my mind and like we have still never had a conversation with each other but we like know people around each other and like the first time they're like oh J, J. Miller who, who's that who's that and then like all of a sudden it was like yeah I need to talk to this J person I'm like what is happening? That's <laughs> like, so awesome. Yeah. So like mm. I, I get to I get to be a fanboy in a lot of these cases where I'm I'm talking to some of the the folks that are around me, but a lot of that is not based on my own successes. It's based on all of my friends being more successful. <laughs> <laughs> that's really funny. That's that's really cool. Um Yeah. I'm trying to think what else what else I want to ask you. Oh, I really want to know since the last time we talked how all of your devrel stuff is going it's it's going and, and like it's going in weird directions which i was not expecting um on on this show i've interviewed a couple of different um advocates and it really does feel like we're all doing our own thing like we're all doing something different and that's what kind of makes the space so interesting mm-hmm. but I have I've kind of since turned into like the diversity coordinator for like our company and like in a good way. Like one of the things that we talked about, you know, where I work at, I work for Elastic. I mean, I've I've already said it before. Um but one of the cool things is that our team is super diverse. Like our ad, like our North American and South American advocacy team are all either women in tech or people of color. And I'm like oh, wow. this is awesome. Like that's fantastic to see that but we still go to the same user groups and meetups where like we're the only people of color or we're the only like woman in tech speaking and Mm -hmm. it's like 
how how does this happen? How how is the internal community team more diverse than the community that they represent? So mm. I've kind of taken it upon myself to like fix that and make sure that like in everything that we're doing, like, hey, we have better representation of, of people of color, of women in tech, um, people that are a part of of different groups, different, you know, like the LGBTQIA plus community and just making sure that we're able to represent visually how diverse our community can be and encourage more and more people to join and you know from outside other like other groups so in a way like my my journey has really gone down that route of like coordinating and sitting on these panels and having discussions and telling my story, you know, like similar to you, like, I mean, I'm a college dropout. So, you know, for me, it's anytime I hear someone say, I don't have a CS degree, I'm like, yes, another one. Um, So it's, it's good to be able to tell those stories and encourage people to get into DevRel, get into tech in general and kind of be a mentor um, just like, like you and like many of the other people were for me. But at the same time, I've also kind of been focusing the content that I do create. I focus it more towards building like my own brand, which is so weird because it's like like Elastic is super encouraging because I, I'm kind of responsible for if we make video content, they want to have me look at it, provide feedback, do all that stuff because I'm making videos on my own YouTube channel. And it's like, I'm not, I'm not like talking to thousands of people. I have less than a hundred subscribers on YouTube, but at the same time, it's like, I'm consistently thinking about it and, and very similar to like what you're doing with, you know, your idea of tiny experiments. It's, I'm intentionally going into it as I'm going to create a video and I'm going to play around with this type of technique so that I can take it back to my team and say, oh, you know, something that would be really good here is if we if we did this. And as we're kind of getting out of the pandemic, well, at least in the U.S., we are, um, you know, as we're starting to look at that and we're starting to make plans for the fall of like, okay, what if we start having conferences in person? What if we start wanting to do in-person content like part of that for me now is like taking my camera and recording and and like doing in-person interviews with people and and like preparing for that versus you know doubling down on the like let's stay locked in our our caves and only come out to like release a blog post or do like a virtual conference Mm -hmm. yeah that's that's really cool that's that's good to hear that sounds Sounds like some good initiatives there. Um, it is, and it's yeah. it's very much the the desire to figure it out. You know, you know, like like I've probably said a thousand times now. Like there is no while your DevRel book is the great. Like here are the things that you will need to know in order to be in order to have the potential for success. There is no like secret recipe of do this, do this, do this, and then you're going to be a successful advocate. It It is very much like maximize all of your skills and use them to create a unique voice for yourself. And that is, that is how you are, you become successful in this space. But, you know, like you said, just taking a bunch of, of small 
small tests. Like I'm going to do this thing and, and really document it and do a lot of postmortems. That was actually one of the things I wanted to ask about in the, the interview, but it completely slipped my mind was like, how often are you doing postmortems on your, your tiny experiments? Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I do them pretty regularly. Honestly, I, I, I don't always publish them just because I, I get busy or whatever, but I, I do think a lot about, you know, what went well with this thing or what didn't go well, or I, I try to be really, I try to really be observant of what happens when I do an experiment of some kind and, and say like, well, okay, this thing didn't work. This thing did work. Um, so yeah, I, I do it pretty often. That's nice. I'm I'm trying to, I'm trying to make sure that I don't, I don't like go back into like, I'm interviewing Sam mode because <laughs> <laughs> I, I will do that. I've, I'm working on a new show with someone and we, uh, that's the problem that we've both had podcasts in the past. So it's like every once in a while we catch ourselves like interviewing the other person and we're like, Hey, we're, you're, you're doing that thing again. <laughs> <laughs> that's really funny. Oh, that's cool. I the I guess the last thing I would ask you because I heard you you mentioned the analog system, and I listened to, I don't know, one of these podcasts that we like. I, it might have been focused where they interviewed that guy uh, from Ugmunk, and so I'm curious. I, I I was thinking about getting it, and I just don't know if I would use it. Uh, um, and so I'm curious. Like you said, you really like bullet journaling and stuff like that. Like, what when do you think somebody would be helped by using a, an anal- whether whether analog with a capital A or analog with a lowercase a <laughs> system for things like that. So I'm I'm actually really glad like you asked this this week and not last week because last week I'd have been like I don't know my brain's on fire but <laughs> um, I have I have come to learn that most of my analog productivity is making sure I realize the things that I did do and what comes next. Mm-hmm. So in my mind, I would say if if you struggle with rem- one remembering what you did because most productivity systems, most project managers and things like that are more focused on what needs to be done versus what has been done, mm-hmm. um, which I have, I've learned like my postmortems tend to be better because I do document, you know, the things that I'm doing so that I can, I can kind of just go back through and be like, oh yeah, I did this. Oh wow. I, I wrote this kind of aggressively. Maybe I didn't have a good experience around this one area. Um, to me, I think when it's more important to know what you did and what you kind of got from it and mm-hmm. highlighting next steps, I feel like that's where analog productivity can really help you. Um, that said, it's it's not like you can't do that digitally. I just think that there's a part of me that slows down when I'm doing that. Like I'm rarely ever writing down what I need to do in like six months in my bullet journal. Instead, I write down like at the beginning of the month, or if I have something that does need to go, you know, that needs to happen later, I write it down in like my monthly log 
But then on my daily log, it's more like I did this, I did this, I did this. I need to do this in a few hours. I might need to do this, you know, by next week. But everything else is kind of like just up in the air. And it's not like, I mean, I have it written down so I can just go back and look at it, but it's not as important as what I have done. And then also what I'm doing in the moment. So to me, like if you're, if you're a very in the moment person or you need to be in the moment or like in the next day, like I feel like analog productivity serves better, but I mean, I still reach for digital tools when it comes to like, I need to plan this thing out because it's going to happen over the next like 10 months and I need to do this in six months and this in seven months and this in eight months and this in nine months. And don't forget to do this thing over here. But I'm treating that more as like a checklist of like, hey, make sure you don't forget about that thing instead Mm -hmm. of like, you must do this to be productive. That's that's where my bullet journal tends to be the the goalpost of if I look at I have a I have a new notebook. I'm using the the subtle notebook that the relay or that uh the Cortex folks made. Um yeah. testing that out. That's really nice. But I, I can look at like, you know, yesterday and see that yesterday was like a half page day. Whereas mm. the day before was like a third of a page and like the day before that was like two thirds of a page. So I can kind of get an idea of like how busy I've been or how busy like things are starting to trend. And I can do that better by looking at the actual page yeah. and maybe flipping back a page or two versus, you know, again, you're in a, you're in something like OmniFocus and it's just like, here are 8,000 tasks that need to be done. Um, good luck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. And that lines up with some of the things they said on that podcast. Like, I I remember Mike was saying, like, having to pick five things to go on the analog card or however many slots there are, like, forces him to think through his day and, like, decide what's the most important thing rather than just the endless amount of space you have in something like OmniFocus where you can just brain dump 50,000 things, but realistically you're only going to get five done anyway. So I, I think that's pretty interesting. It It's weird though, because in my mind, like there are always kind of two, two areas of, of resistance for me. It's what should I really be doing right now? And like, what do I really want to be doing right now? And figuring out is one getting in the way of the other. Uh, yeah. And a good example of that, even like I, I'm just doing the YouTube stuff, like thinking of different content to to do videos about. Like that's great, and it's a great way for me to build my brand. It's a great way for me to learn different skill sets. But at the same time, like if what I should really be doing is getting the other videos that, you know, my employer is asking me to do, or, you know, I've been doing a couple of voiceover jobs lately for uh, a couple of clients and like, they're paying me to, to do that content. And it's like, I should probably really be focusing on that stuff, but I really want to do this other thing. Yeah. And it doesn't necessarily mean that I have to drop what I want to do. It's just, I can now think about like, what can I get to in this thing that I want to do that'll satisfy me enough that I can turn back to the things that I should really be doing 
or vice yeah. versa. How like what's what's the minimum amount of stuff that I should be doing that I can do and then turn to this other thing when I need a break from all the other stuff, like yeah. figuring out that balance. And and that's again, I think that that is the real challenge of productivity, not necessarily like have you written down everything that needs to be done? Okay, great. Now start doing it. Like nobody, nobody that I know has a brain that works like that. Yeah. 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 That's, that's so true. I, I've had to cut out a lot of things over the last few months and it's really tough. Cause there's some things like, like for example, I could do, I could do a lot of angular consulting around the NG upgrade stuff uh, and I, ha- I, tr- I have to turn down like almost all of it. And part, part of me is like, what are you doing? That's like, that could be a lot of money. <laughs> like, what, like, what are you thinking? <laughs> Why are you not doing this? But then it just, it takes up the wrong kind of headspace, like in a time that I need, I need to be creative in other areas. And my job is taking up a lot of my time and things like that. And so I just, I don't want to be spending my time doing upgrade consulting right now, even though financially it'd probably make a lot of sense to do it. And it's a weird thing to make that decision when like you've got other motivations, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I, I mean, I absolutely agree. It's like every time I have to turn down, like I've had people that have like wanted me to edit their stuff and I'm like, I can't (laughs) like, it's the kind of work that I don't get any benefit from other than a consistent check. Right. But that consistent check isn't necessarily worth the time that I'm going to spend doing things that I would rather be doing something else. And again, it's like that balance of what should I really be doing versus what do I want to do? What I've learned is the less things that I really should be doing, I have gives me more time to do the things that I really want to do. Yeah. So it, it, it definitely is a, a challenge in that area. And I think that's, I think the hardest part of that is when it is work related, uh, at least for me. And I mean, you're asking like how the DevRel thing has been going. That's, that's been the hardest part of, you know, when you're in DevRel, like my first, what, four or five months, no, I think my first three months at Elastic, like every conference proposal that I submitted, every CFP that I submitted to got rejected. And it was like, this sucks. I'm trash. Like, I'm not good at this. This, I'm terrible. And then, like, my boss was like, you just started. Like, you'll, <laughs> like it's fine. And then, like, all of a sudden, like, I'm like, I'm just going to submit more CFPs. That's fine. I've, I've spoken eight times in the last three months and I'm exhausted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, like, I'm just like, I don't never again. Like we, I had the same conversation with my boss earlier today. It was just like, yeah, I'm thinking about just not submitting to any conferences this summer. Um, I've already submitted to a few. So if those get accepted, then cool. But if not, like yeah. I could be working on YouTube stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a very common journey that you just went on (laughs) Uh, well i think i've got to call it there but this was wonderful 